Oldfield and Company, live from the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Three o'clock hour. We'll uh, get to a little bit of the Golden Knights this hour. Get a preview of the Flyers game from the Flyers side. Also, got the parade going on with the Aces, back-to-back champs. We'll get you some details on that, some thoughts on that. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, come on, is with us. I want to hit some college football here. But I do want to get back to the tush push, the brotherly shove. This is getting absurd with the complaints every week. And when I hear people say that in trying to defend it, people are getting hurt, then get better at defending it. It is not illegal, as far as I know, to push a runner forward. And if they want to do that, then you're going to leave a lot of subjectivity to the officials who can barely handle what's going on in the field with everything else they have to call. Because that means every time there is a scrum and all of a sudden O-linemen are dragging along a running back and they won't blow the whistle dead, then you got to outlaw that. Do you just outlaw all quarterback sneaks? Are you going to sit there, you know, eyes of a hawk and watch to see, is, is anyone touching the runner? Anyone touching the quarterback? This is ridiculous. They have a quarterback who can do it. They know how to execute it. Their center is awesome. And I think if other teams were built the same way, and you, you know, obviously you have to find a quarterback who's got that kind of power. It was actually interesting. I heard uh, Coward, right, over on our sister station this morning with Michael Vick. And while Vic has a pretty good opinion of himself, and he should, Michael Vick was a great quarterback with unreal abilities, Coward asked him, could you do that touch push? And he's like, no, I'm not as big and strong as Jalen Hurts. Like, it does take a special guy. And also, there are guys who are as big and as strong. Like, Phillip Rivers never wanted to do it for the Chargers. Um, I don't know that I've seen Justin Herbert try it when he's healthy. I assume he would have a chance to do it, but not if their offensive lineman isn't up to snuff doing it. So it's not something that no one else can replicate. Right now, they're awesome at it, and no one can stop it. And the other thing is, when Sirianni's bragging about it's really first and nine, I mean, I'd like to see what the average is. I don't know that they get just one yard each time they do it. Yeah. They might be getting like two and a half, two, seven, five per carry. They they freaking it's – it's almost never like, did he get it? No. They freaking blast past yeah. the line. Well, I think uh, the percentage is right now for them is 17 out of 20. Is that right? Uh, which goes back to last year. Because I think they got stopped a couple of the first times that they did it. Right. And then, I, But I do – I'd have to go back and look at this for sure because I just saw that number. And I feel like I watched a game a couple weeks ago where they got stopped on third and one and then did it on fourth right. and one and got it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, they stopped them, but they didn't really stop them because they just did it again. Um, yeah, the confidence has to be at an insane level right now. And – I think you're going to see them going for it even more, even in their own territory, because they know uh, that they have this great opportunity to get it. And I also feel like, and I've heard a couple other people say this now, somebody is going to throw out of it. And I think it's going to be them at some point, which would be phenomenal because now you've got just 11 guys attacking the line of scrimmage <laughs> and you should have a wide open guy down the field. Yep. Just leak a tight end out, pretend to block, go out, go downfield. It should be an easy touchdown. This is to me is akin to when the Lombardi Packers were pulling guards. Yeah. And, and going around the right edge or the left edge and just saying, hey, this is not fair. You know, listen, I mean, you know, everyone else doesn't have uh, offensive linemen or athletic enough to pull. Well, then get some. Yeah. Then get some. Get some athletes. Yeah. And I, I loved your point. Like, the rugby scrum kind of freaking jam against each other and just battle of power was 
some of the early, early origins of football. I feel like this was like first and second down in like the, yeah. the in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Like this is just what no, football wasn't this was. How the ice bowl ended? Was it on a play basically where it was a, a sneak yeah. and it's just like push, 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 battle of power? You can't get any grip on the ice. Too bad. Um, and I heard I heard somebody say this morning too in response to uh, to Joe Shad obviously being disappointed that the Dolphins you know gave up a couple first downs on it yesterday uh, and saying this is not what football is supposed to look like. Somebody said, uh, should we ban the spin around throw behind the back pitch to your to your uh, running or to your wide receiver in motion because that's not what football looked like when it was first started and then that's what Mike McDaniel's doing. So should we ban that because it's not it doesn't look the same as other plays? It's ridiculous. So dumb. Uh, giveaway time, 364-1100, Halloween Hootenanny. Is that a word you use? The Hootenanny. It's been a while. Halloween Hootenanny coming up on Saturday night. Bach Theater, Planet Hollywood, Ticketmaster.com. It would not be a true Halloween Hootenanny if Rob Zombie and Alice Cooper were not involved. They're involved. So you got two tickets to this. Demond's going to hook you up right now. 364-1100, caller 7, 364 Zero zero. I'm so glad. To look up how to spell hootenanny. I'm so glad you better use it in your follow kind of, up, uh, Matt Never. It's kind of, UNLV story. It might not be me doing it. Uh, hootenanny is. I think it's spelled how it sounds. Has <laughs> cut it out. Has Sirianni taken credit for the uh, the brotherly shove or the the tush push? I, th- I mean, he was talking about it last night. What are the origins? I don't even know what the origins are. I'd love to see that. I missed it. Right? Yeah. So, innovative play. Simple, but innovative. And probably not that simple in terms of execution. You mentioned Mike McDaniel. Innovative. Right? Little Shanny running offenses. Innovative. I don't know. Go back to freaking Air Coriel. Innovative. We can talk about all these, you know, different uh, game changers when it comes to football. And then, I've had this conversation many times. You know, some of the great coaches of the 70s, I don't know if they could adjust to today's defenses. Right? Say they were whatever their specialty was, offense or defense. I don't know if they could coach in this era. I think some of them could. Maybe them some of them just weren't smart enough to keep up with the game some 60 years later. I don't know. Something's going on right now with Dabo Sweeney. And I don't think he's stupid, but did he just get too big in terms of his ego? One, the transfer portal thing where he will not augment with the portal. Like it's beneath him. And, and believe me, I'm sure he, he'll croak if he actually goes to the transfer portal and he finds out how transactional it is that like, yeah, guess what? You got to line up deals for your freshmen coming in and your current players with an IL, but it is an open market. And if you want to get good players, it is going to be transactional. What is going on with him in that program? And listen, we measure these guys like Sweeney, like Lincoln Riley at a different level. They can win eight, nine games. It ain't good enough. But the really alarming thing, when you see stuff like this one, most fumbles since the start of last season, and the reason I'm talking about this is Clemson fell to Miami over the weekend. They're four and three now. Clemson's fumbled the ball 39 times since last season. That leads the way and lost fumbles. They have the most lost fumbles the last season plus 22 lost fumbles, three more than anyone else in football. I mean, that's coaching. Yeah, I mean, there's unless you're going against revolutionary defenses that are able to strip the is the I guess. Can we look through the ACC? Is it just a fumble league where the defenses are unreal at stripping the ball? Come on, the top two are both in the ACC, right? They are. Well, in terms of lost, yeah, I don't. I guess we'd have to look at how many were lost in the ACC games versus the non-con games, but 
I mean, it, it is that that is a disastrous stat. It's terrible. Uh, and I, I mean, yeah, it's coaching in terms of you've got to you've got to teach the ball security and all those things. But there is also you know certain individuals. I would I would like to look back how many you know individually uh, different people had uh, like. Was DJU seemed like he fumbled a lot? I feel like so maybe maybe that was maybe that was part of it. But yeah, that's that's unacceptable and too many, and part of the reason why they are where they are. And and I mean, you said it about his reluctance for, uh, you know, nil and things like that. Um, you know, when he made his silly comment, you know, we've been we've been dealing with nil for years. You know, we're we were made in Jesus's name, image and likeness. Like, okay, funny, I guess, but get yeah. on board. Like, yeah. you have to you have to adapt with the times. Like, that's not going to work anymore. Right now, if you were hiring a coach. A uh, highly touted coach who might not be meeting expectations. Who would you take, Sweeney or Lincoln Riley? Lincoln Riley. Yes, not even. I, I have more faith in I his was, ability. Like, why to adapt. are you hesitating? His ability to adapt yeah. to the future. He is going to. He will go after this year, and he will get a top-notch defensive coordinator. And I think they will. And it may not be the best way to do it, but they will hit the freaking transfer market, the portal, and be very into being transactional. Oh yeah, they are going to get players. Because they can't keep going like this if they want to win national championships. The D.C. Grinch cannot stay around, and they've got to get better talent. That's it. Well, it, I we think that he's going to, right? I mean. he is a st- I'll tell you what, behind the scenes, and he doesn't come off this way, but some of the stuff they do, he is a stubborn ass. I don't know why. You know, it was a big deal this weekend. They didn't provide any players after the loss at Utah. He was also, I guess he, he said – over the weekend, USC doesn't come in every week talking about winning a national championship. I don't know where that narrative starts. And back in the LA Times, uh, back in July in the LA Times, he's, he talked about expectations at USC, quote, to win championships. We didn't come here to play for second. Well, which one is it? Come on, dude. Puff your chest out. Stand up. You didn't play well. Utah right now is a better program. He's a great coach. They play defense. They're physical. You're not at their level. Now, it's not going to matter in the future because they're going to have to face each other. But I will say USC is going to a – Conference that, interestingly enough, is very physical. No one can score, so I think they'll be able to overcome that. I think they'll be fine in the Big Ten, but you got to get more physical because that's why Utah's beating you. Yeah, but don't don't tell us you're not there to win championships. You said it in July of twenty two. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, you know, I'm sure now his his take is yes. When you start the season, you're trying to play for a championship, but each week you have to focus on that week and not like you know one of those kind of things. But yeah, you you set up the expectations and you should welcome the expectations. That's what you want to have every year. Knights are out to an amazing start. 6-0 and start, uh, no hangover at all after winning the Stanley Cup. We're going to talk to an uh, expert who covers the Flyers, one of the voices of the Flyers, on the way back to get you ready for tomorrow night's game. Late start, 8 o'clock start, over at the Fortress for VGK and Philly. Hanging at the Battleborn Broadcast Center, it's Cofield and Company. Knights are out to an awesome start at 6-0. and uh, Interesting times around Las Vegas right now because uh, – I would say there, Toshiba Plaza will be used tonight for a parade with the WNBA champions, the Aces. So good times around Las Vegas. Philly, not so bad. Uh, Jim Jackson is the voice on TV of the Flyers. Flyers are here tomorrow for an 8 o'clock start. Well, what's going on, sir? Are we pulling you away from a uh, sports bar right now? I I assume uh, most people in Philly are kind of paying attention to the Phillies and and Zona right now. Uh, I'm at my house, but it's on. Um, okay. I worked for him for 14 years, so I have roots to the Phillies. But uh, uh, but I'm not working for him anymore, so I don't have the nerves I used to have. That's for sure. There you go. There. You go. <laughs> uh, for you, is this unexpected that the Phillies made it to this level and uh, may win a World Series? Uh, you know what? Not really. If you, if you look at baseball, unlike certainly the NHL or the NBA or the NFL, 
there's no salary cap. Um, so even though there is a luxury tax, you're, you're pretty much free to go out there and try to buy yourself success. And the Phillies have done that. If you look at their roster, I mean, they've got a couple of homegrown products of Aaron Nola pitched today and Stott and uh, uh, Bohm. But outside of that, you know, it's your Bryce Harper's, your JT Romuto's, your Zach Wheeler's, your Schwarber's, your Castellanos, your Trey Turner's. These are guys they basically bought. They have one of the highest payrolls in baseball. So if you have a high payroll in baseball, you have a much better chance of success. Obviously, there's some teams this year who had high payrolls that bombed out. But if you look over the last five to ten years, the teams that are competing at the end usually are teams with really high payrolls. So yeah. um, I'm not surprised in that way. that they, they are made for the playoffs. They're not really made necessarily for the long season because they don't have the pitching depth, but they have two studs at the top of the rotation. Usually a decent bullpen. It's been a little leaky here lately, but usually a good bullpen. And, and they have a ton of offense because they've gone out and gotten a ton of players, and they've spent a lot of money to do that. John Middleton decided he was going to try to get them to be winners by you know putting his money where his money. He called it stupid money at one point in time, but uh, it, it's pretty smart money if they win it all. And it was pretty smart money just to even go to the – World Series last year because it, it got them sellouts all season long this year. So yeah. this town's crazy. They, they are all over the Phillies and the Eagles. So it, it's a crazy time in sports here. And uh, Adam, my partner here, uh, and I both have folks, you know, with uh, Philly roots. Like my older brother lives there just south of South Street. He's been there for like 30 years. Adam grew up at times in Delaware. So we know the, we know the market well. And the market does – uh, require you know a feistiness among the organizations like you got to spend you got to win or people are just gonna they're gonna they're gonna call up sports talk radio so that it'll do well for sports talk radio but like you have to spend to win but here's the other thing because you mentioned the burnouts or the uh, the failures with high payrolls you have to get the right guys and there's yeah. always the right guy you get as a free agent and I'll say I'm even a little surprised by it, that Bryce Harper has worked so well from a personality standpoint I feel like he's one of those perfect guys for those big markets like Boston New York or Philly. Uh, they love him there. He's perfect. I remember his very first press conference down in uh, Clearwater when he, he was beginning his first training, his, his first spring training with, with the Phillies. And uh, I was actually getting ready to do a Flyers game, uh, but I was watching from afar, and I remember I tweeted. It was still called Twitter then. I tweeted out, uh, <laughs> this guy gets it, and, and a whole bunch of you know, you got the haters out there immediately, oh, yeah. you know, answered by, yeah, I'd get it for that kind of money, too. And, uh, but I, I was referring to the fact that he understands not only is it about playing, but it's about building it up. And, and he does that so well. But also, he is a guy who is pedal to the metal, which I think will eventually come back to, to, you know, cause him to hit the wall at some point in his career. He's 31 now. So these are really important days for Bryce that he wants to win a championship. And uh, he's got a good chance to do that. So, uh, obviously, came close last year. So, he's he's right there. And, um, you know, for him, just not uh, – he, he understands the moment, his clutch, all, all the things that Philly sports fans want in their athletes. Uh, constantly praising the fans here, too. And he just gets it. He, he knows how to sell himself. He knows how to sell the sport. Um, and it's all worked here. He is uh, – already being called the most clutch player in all of Philadelphia sports history by a lot of people who've wow. been around here a long time. So he's in a great spot. All he needs, of course, is the brass ring. you got, you got to get that championship, and then he's golden. 
Mr. Jackson, the voice of the Flyers. All right, let's turn to hockey. Um, yeah, it's not hockey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Well, you know what? I, I want the, the reason I let in there. There's, a, there's method to this madness. It's just not uh, random. But the reason I let in that way was I wanted to talk about what the rest of the league thinks of the Vegas Golden Knights because the fans here and the, and the media, to a certain extent, here is a little bit spoiled by the fact that Bill Foley came in and yeah, they got you know a, 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 some good breaks and they made some good moves in the expansion draft. But ever since, they've kind of been the big game hunter. And I don't know if that's going to change around the rest of the NHL. I always hear this conservative approach by other organizations. What do you think as someone who's outside this market, the way they have spent uh, to the point where they, they actually were in jeopardy a couple of years ago, really blowing things because of the cap, but they just keep spending and spending and spending. Yeah, I'm a little biased. It was a friend of mine, but I, I, I mean, it's to me been genius what they've done. It's put a lot of pressure on teams around the league because, uh, and it's really undue pressure, but the fans don't see it that way. The fans only see this team comes into the league and they go to the finals in their very first year. Why should it take three or four or five years to rebuild <laughs> our team? Well, the, the reason for that is they had no salary cap issues when they came into the league. So their rebuild was basically from scratch, but from scratch with no bad contracts hanging out over them or anything like that. Any other team that's into a rebuild invariably has older players that are being paid way too much money and they're up against the cap. And you've got to get out from underneath that before you even start to get back to where you want to be. Well, Vegas didn't have to worry about that. Seattle didn't have to worry about that. And they've both proven uh, Vegas more so, but uh, they've proven you can be competitive very early on in your, in your lifespan. But what Vegas did, and, and you're right, it was only two years ago where I think the rest of the league was kind of smirking saying, yeah, let's see what they do now. They're, you know, they're going out after all these players and they're up against the cap and they're, they're, you know, they missed the playoffs two years ago. And so people were probably starting to say, yeah, now it's going to go really south in the desert. And what do they do? They come back and they win the cup. So uh, it has been an amazing story. George knew what he was doing when he started. Uh, he was so creative with that very first, with the expansion draft and the trades he made and how he was able to, to get assets and play one team off against the other and, um, and, you know, they got some breaks for sure. So, I mean, I don't think they expected William Carlson to be a 40-goal scorer his first year. There's some other things that have happened. That, you know, Aiden Hill to just come out of nowhere and be so good in the playoffs last year. But you have to have things like that happen in order to win a Stanley Cup. And um, they are going to be, whenever there's another expansion team, because Seattle hears about it all the time, you know, look what Vegas did, look what Vegas did. So they've set the bar very high for any future expansion team and uh, good luck trying to get there. I mean, six years in the championship and, and more than, more, even more than that, really, right? The four out of the five out of the six years right there. I mean, uh, it wasn't like they just came out of nowhere in their sixth year. Like the Flyers way back when, when they were expansion team, they won in the seventh year, but they were really in the low. You know, they were, they were not close until maybe the year before they won the cup. They got to the second round of the playoffs. That was their first playoff series win the year before. I mean, Vegas has been a legitimate Stanley Cup contender, uh, you know, from day one of their existence, really. Even the year they didn't make the playoffs, they were, you know, racked with injuries and just barely missed. So um, it's, a, it's a, a story of how to do it. George McPhee and, and the whole organization there did it right. Well, let's, let's talk about the Flyers. Expectations not soaring uh, for this season, but they've started off pretty well. What have they done? It's early, but what have they done well? Not soaring. I like that. That's a euphemism. They are as under the radar as you can get. They're not even on the radar. They're they're beneath the, you know, say, under the radar. Where, where can you go beyond under the radar? Because that's where they are. Because no one nationally or even here 
expect anything of him. And I told anyone who would listen in the preseason and really over the summer, be careful what you say about this team because they're getting two players back in Sean Couturier and Cam Atkinson who are like two huge free agent pickups if they are able to come back. And we're only five games in. So it's a little early to say that they're physically back. Uh, they could get hurt tomorrow. You know, it could happen. But if they are able to play the way they've played through the first five games, those two players, and then you add them to a mix of a pretty good young base of players, some who took steps last year, like Owen Tippett and Noah Cates, others they're hoping to take the step this year, like Bobby Brink and Tyson Forster. Um, you, you add those two veterans to a pretty solid core. you got some good young veterans, too, like T- uh, Travis Connecty and now Travis Sanheim was off to a great start. And there's no way you can tell me they can't at least contend for a playoff spot. I'm not saying they're Stanley Cup contenders, but you can't tell me that with what, all of what I just told you, and by the way, a solid goaltender, that they can't at least contend for a playoff spot. I'm not saying they're going to make the playoffs, but come March, April, I think they would, would be in the mix. Now, I say this, they're off to a 3-1-1 start. Last year, they were 4-1. So they're not even off to as good a start as they were last year. But last year, when they were 4-1, it was Carter Hart stealing games for them earlier in the year. This year, they're outplaying teams. They've been outplayed once. That was their one regulation loss. Ottawa clearly outplayed them. The other four games, the Flyers haven't just outplayed opponents. They've dominated them in terms of scoring chances. And we're not talking about bad teams. We're talking about Dallas. We're talking about Edmonton. These are pretty good teams. Vancouver came in after having swept a couple from Edmonton. Uh, so, And Columbus, the other team they beat, is off to a good start as well. So uh, they, they played some pretty good teams, and they've been the better team. The, the, the 3-1-1 one and one this year feels a lot better than 4-1 did last year. Still a small sample size. I get that. But I'm just telling you, that even before the season started, I saw a team that could at least compete for a playoff spot and, and still look to the future. They have two first-round picks next year. They have two stud players on the way. Cutter Goche, he's playing in college right now. He'll probably be here at the end of this year. And uh, Matt Mitchkoff was a point a game as an 18-year-old in the KHL, which is very hard to do. He's a stud. He's coming in three years, maybe a little less, who knows, but possibly three years. And then two first-round picks next year and a whole bunch of other prospects still um, in, in junior and college. So they have put this into a really good spot in a hurry. And, and uh, I think that the rebuild is going to be a lot faster than a lot of people thought. Another reason for optimism maybe would be you'd expect a little bit of regression to the mean in terms of you can't be that bad on the power play. Uh, they're worse. Yeah. <laughs> what, what is going on? They have one power play goal this year, and it was on a five-on-three. So they do not have a single power play goal and a five-on-four yet this year, and that's after two consecutive years finishing 32nd in power play percentage. So to say it's been a bugaboo, it has. To say they have gone 3-1-1 and and outplayed everybody pretty much except for the one loss with those power play numbers also shows you how well they're playing at five-on-five, and they're obviously killing well as they had three short-headed goals in the last game. But it is, it is a mystery. They, they struggle with entries. They struggle winning face-offs to start power plays, and then they have to go all the way back and start over and then get that entry. Uh, I I think uh, there have been signs in the last game or two, even though they haven't scored, they've been getting some legitimate chances and starting to look better. I I mean, as I look at the team now, I would say they lack that quarterback. They don't have that guy that can really orchestrate from the top right now. Um, For so many years, Claude Giroux ran the power play in Philadelphia, but not from the top, obviously from from the, the hash marks, um, they don't really have that player who can run the power play at, in any part of the ice right now. Bobby Brink 
too, too much to expect of a rookie, but he certainly has the potential to do that someday in his career. Uh, there are guys in the point now are Cam York and, and Travis Sanheim. Cam York has done it before in his career, but again, he's 22. So he's just getting his feet wet in the NHL. It's tough to expect him to be the, the maestro in the power play. And Travis Sanheim hasn't had a lot of power play time in his career. He, he's just getting used to it, too. But we'll see if they all settle in. They have the upfront potential to score. They do. They really have, you know, from Owen Tippett, Tyson Forster, Travis Konechny, Sean Couturier, they, they have guys who can score up front. That, that's Cam Atkinson. They're, they're not really struggling there. It's just getting, getting it all organized from the top, getting the puck movement, getting the entries, all those kinds of things. It's got to get better. Uh, you guys said it. It's, it just keeps saying it. Eventually, it's got to get better. <laughs> and hopefully it will for their sake. All right, I got to close it out in uh, cheesy fashion. Uh, best no. cheesesteaks, actually, in Philly or in South Jersey? I've never been to this place, Donkeys, in Camden, but uh, I'm sure South Jersey can make a, a good cheesesteak, uh, just like Pat's and Geno's, and I guess Jim's they when it's can, rebuilt. But it's almost like with me, when I have a hot dog when I'm at the ballpark, it always tastes better than when I have it off my grill or you know somewhere else in a restaurant. I don't have hot dogs at restaurants, but if I have a hot dog, <laughs> when it's at the ballpark, doesn't it always taste a little better to you? Yeah, well, the same thing with cheesesteak. If I'm in Philly, if I'm in South Philly in particular, if if I'm at a game or if I'm out somewhere in South Philly, the cheesesteak just tastes better there. Uh, and I haven't even gone to the place you're talking about in Camden, so I can't vouch for yeah. that. Uh, I'm not like a humongous cheesesteak guy, but what I have a cheesesteak. If I'm in Philly, it somehow tastes better. Just That's just the way it is for me. I get it. I get it. Hey, thanks for the spot. That was a great preview, and we'll talk to you down the road. Thank you so much. Anytime, guys. Get ready for it. It's an 11 o'clock start for us back east, so... Is all, having all 16 teams or 32 teams playing 16 games tomorrow. The NHL is great, except when you're the last game. <laughs> <laughs> all right, we'll anyway, see you. Enjoy it. Stay up late. The, the, the game's getting over about 1.30 in the morning. But, oh well. <laughs> see you, Jim. Take care, guys. There he is. Uh, TV voice of the Flyers. Yeah, that place, Donkeys, actually does the uh, cheesesteak on a round Kaiser roll. Round? That's not a cheesesteak. It's their version of the cheesesteak. You're gonna it's you're gonna go to Camden and tell someone in Camden they're wrong. Yeah, they're wrong. That's not how a cheesesteak's okay. done. All right, I'll tell them right now. Is that, is well, that you tell them three thousand miles I away? Okay. Right. Well, that, the, I figured those... he. I figured he side with Jersey. I, have you ever seen a wiki page where it lists where the person lives? The currently lives. It was like resides in. I'm like, all right. I guess I'll go with the, huh? the South Jersey angle since it says he lives there. Yeah, it should be close to him. You should go check it out. He just doesn't go to Camden very often. Uh, I, I you, you you get it right. It's a, yes, you, you and I get the reference. It's sure. not it's not the uh, it's not the easiest city to go into. At this point, I don't know how many people know, but it's, tomorrow's Red Zone Day. Yeah, what's going on with this? So uh, the NHL is just putting every basically kind of copying what was college basketball the first to do that. Well, they did the marathon twenty four hour. Yeah, this isn't twenty four hour, but they're doing basically a start. A game starts every fifteen minutes. Oh wow. And they're going to have like a, a red zone type channel, like might be goal line or whatever it's called, uh, where they just do kind of whip around all the big games. And now, you know, ESPN is trying to get more integrated into the into the sport and uh, to broadcast. So they are uh, they're trying this tomorrow. Should be a pretty fun experiment, but it does push the Golden Knights to the final start time of the night, which is eight o'clock. But there's games I think at like two, two fifteen, two thirty, like all the way through, uh, and a bunch of different start times tomorrow. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, not to rip on Vegas Golden Knights fans, but can I go down there tomorrow and get a twenty dollars ticket because people are like, oh, it's too late. Well, I'm sure twenty is a little low, but you sure by like the start of the third period, there'll be like twelve thousand people there. Yet Philly, 
they're going to be having to watch this thing at yeah. one o'clock in the morning, if not later. Well, maybe there's still going to people be people down there from you know still there from the party tonight. You think? No, but I mean, but uh, there is a concert after the uh, after the parade tonight, which is cool. They'll be down there in Toshiba Plaza, so um, you know maybe there is a little after party. VGK going at it tomorrow night. Uh, with the Flyers and the Blackhawks at the end of the week. Uh, up in about 10 minutes, we're going to have a conversation with Eric Harper, the AD at UNLV, who was the guy who hired Barry Odom, and Odom is out to a great start for UNLV football at 6-1, and one, and they're bowl eligible. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. Good spot there on the Flyers. I think I threw uh, Jim Jackson off. I'm like, yeah, we're going to talk Philly sports. What's the big deal? I think he was joking, too, when he said, oh, I thought I was here to talk hockey. Yeah, yeah. we're here to talk everything. It's Philly. We, uh, I think we like Philly. I don't know. I, I can never get the story straight with you. It's not bad. I like Bryce and Bryson. Okay. You do like cheesesteaks. We were talking about Pats and Geno's. also like Paul Seawald, friend of the show, so it's, it's kind of tough. Well, when are we getting him on? We said him not that long ago. Come on. We need a refresher. Let's go. Probably right after the season. All right. Look at you. Very confident. 5-1 right yeah. now. Arizona. Check that. 3-1. In the, I don't know where I got 5-1. Uh, 3-1. Survival game for Zona. 3-1. Aaron Nola, not off to a great start. Actually got knocked around in the second inning. Then we'll see what uh, Bryce and Bryson and the rest of them can do. Kyle Schwarber. Another good series. Hitting home runs. I heard, I listen to a lot of sports talk radio, so this is not hating on guys, but I always, means they're doing their job. I heard Rob Parker the other day when uh, someone told him that Kyle Schwarber had tied or passed Reggie Jackson for amount of postseason home runs. And Rob immediately tried to diminish it by saying, well, you know, Kyle Schwarber, you know, he's, guy hits like 180. Couldn't play back in the day if he hit 180. I'm like, mm, yeah, you could. It was called middle, every middle infielder sucked. <laughs> exactly. That's why there was a Mendoza line, and he was actually kind of a mid-level hitter. It's exaggeration, but yeah, you, you could play hitting 200, 210, 220. Um, I watched Reggie Jackson. Uh, Reggie was not a 300 hitter. Now, he wasn't hitting 180, but uh, the difference between... The funny thing is if we look, I bet you that Schwarber over the years, his on-base percentage, which actually is more important than average, his career OBP, even with a career average of like 210, is probably higher than Reggie's. And, yeah, then, and then Parker also mentioned, like, oh, you know, these guys now, it's just hit a home run or strike out. Uh, Reggie or was walk. the – Reggie, yeah, or walk. Uh, Reggie was a prolific K guy. Of course. So I like Reggie Jackson, but if you're hitting home runs in the postseason – it's an accomplishment. And especially now with the specialization where everyone after the fifth inning is throwing hundred miles an hour, not pus like some of the guys out of the bullpen did in the seventies. I will stop. I, and I like Reggie Jackson, but I just thought like Rob, who's probably eight years older than me immediately was like back in my day. I'm like, what, what are we doing, Rob? Well, 200 to Mendoza line is 180 The Gallo line. I don't We don't need to do this. What? I mean, it's off season. Should there be a new line for sluggers? Yeah. Should it be the Gallo line? I think so. He's made his mark on the game. I, I feel like, like I feel like the guy who deserves that more in the last twenty years would be the Adam Dunn line because he sort of made it more acceptable to hit below two hundred, but also walk, you know, eighty, ninety times uh, with only like four hundred and fifty official at bats. Did it change the game? Yeah. <laughs> to be fair, Gallo's uh, career average is one ninety seven. 
Okay. Is that the Gallo 197 is the Gallo line? I actually didn't think it was that high. It's been so bad lately. Hasn't been great. So we started the hour talking a little college football. I wanted to get to one last thing with uh, USC losing, right? And people getting on them. Again, I mentioned uh, Utah is the best program in what is right now the Pac-12. So it should not be shocking that for some reason, yeah, they're more physical. They can beat Southern Cal. And we also talked about Kayla Williams uh, on the suggestion of Emmanuel Acho should just shut it down and that's it. Get ready for the NFL. I don't think he'll do that. Teams that are looking, and by the way, this is going, you're, you're going to have to deal with this big time. Teams that are in the running late in the season for the number one pick, watch how strong the narrative is that Caleb Williams ain't the guy. And we'll probably go into the draft thinking that, oh, it's an even battle here at the top of the draft or top quarterback. I'm going to say right now, it's not an even battle. No, no. one is going to pass him. It doesn't matter what ha- they can lose. USC can lose every game the rest of the way. And Caleb Williams could be mediocre to bad. He'll be the number one pick because the, the, they, the draft Knicks, the draft people try to create these false angles. He's the number one guy. Now he will be the number one guy come late April, early May. Yeah, I think so. It's analysis by paralysis. When we try to find a reason to not make some of the number one pick when they have been for over a year. Yeah, I mean, I think it's true. I also think, you know, sometimes it's, you know, last year it happened, obviously, with Bryce Young, but it it was right. Like, he shouldn't have been the number one pick. I think a lot of people watched it, C.D. Stroud was better. And it's kind of looking that way. It's kind of looking that way, even though there was, it was Bryce Young, Bryce Young, Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. Yeah. That, that last month was insane. And it'll probably happen again. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's what happens with, you know, and teams are trying to throw people off. So it's not even, it's not reporters or media people putting out fake things. It's teams putting out to them. I don't know, some of our guys like this no. guy better, just so they can move around and things like that. But um, yeah, I think it's it's almost certainly going to be Caleb Williams, no matter what, unless he does put it out to a certain team, like, hey, trade the pick before this date or else I'm staying in school. Now, back to Cofield and Company at the Battleborn Broadcast Center on ESPN Las Vegas. NLCS. Arizona just added another run onto their lead, so now 4-1, maybe my 5-1 gaff. When I said it about five minutes ago, it was going to come true. 4-1, top of the fifth. Uh, Marte with a triple and Corbin Carroll, who if people don't know him, pretty good. Pretty good. They've got some good building blocks in Arizona with a chance to uh, pull off the upset here, down 3-2, a chance to even it up. But we'll see what the Phillies have down the stretch. The Las Vegas Phillies with Bryce Harper and Bryson Stott. So uh, good times around Vegas with local sports, with VGK out to the 6-0 start. Aces with the parade going down in just a little bit. UNLV football off to a great start, unlike really anyone they've seen uh, in the last 25 or 30 years. Bowl eligible for the first time in 10 years. They beat Colorado State, and after the game, Eric Harper, the athletic director, who's the guy who hired Barry Odom, and Odom, by uh, some accounts, is you know pulling off miracles here. Uh, he is doing a really good job in getting him out to this great start. But Demond caught up with Eric Harper, the AD, right after the victory, and asked him what it was like, uh, how he was feeling down the stretch as the Rebels win at the buzzer. Well, uh, short of stopping him and 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 palpitating or whatever the heck you want to call it, uh, you know, it was it was tough. Uh, but you know what? In watching these guys, whether it's the, the Vanderbilt game or uh, or any of the games, 
I, I've seen these guys play continuously hard. I, I've never seen them quit. And that's at Michigan when we were down 35 to 7. They were still fighting their tails off to prove that they believe that they belonged on the field with those guys. I've got to ask you about Coach Odom, bringing him in this first year, the turnaround team's first time being bowl eligible in about a decade. What can you say as Coach Odom comes over here? <laughs> you guys dab it up. Uh, what can you say about Coach Odom? You no, know, I'm just proud of what he's done so far. But uh, the, the, uh, this chapter of UNLV football is still being written. And we will continue to fight and push uh, our players uh, academically, athletically, uh, to do the things to, to be successful. And it's important to Coach Odom and I for, for our players to walk across the stage with championship rings and a diploma at the same time. So what does that go into when you talk about the kids, not only athletically, but also academically? How are you guys combining the two? Because I know that it takes a lot to get the kids you know, ready athletically, the turnaround that we see on the field. But what is that process like of also having them ready in the classroom? Uh, we have an amazing academic staff uh, led by Becky Pugh. Uh, but David Wedley is in the, in the football offices on I mean, his office is in the football, uh, complex at the Fertitta football complex. And we can't thank Frank and Lorenzo Fertitta enough for that building. Uh, but the consistency and the communication and to making sure our student athletes have the things that they need, uh, to be successful. You know, th there's no difference between the academic and athletic success is, is you have to have the tools to be successful. And our academic staff is, is one of the best. We've had 12 straight semesters of 3.0 or better. The GPA of football uh, for all of our student athletes, but the GPA for, fo for football is continuously rising, you know, uh, 2.9, you know, 3.0 and better and 3.1. And guys are graduating. You know, our, our entire graduation rate at UNLV athletics is right now is 88 percent. You know what? That's pretty phenomenal. Right. Yeah. Uh, but coach doesn't only preach about winning and losing uh, on the football field, but it's about life, too. He's, he's building and mentoring these young men for life after sport, because at some point in time, our ability to play the level at the level of sport at a high level expires. Yes. <laughs> and we have to have something afterwards. And that degree is a piece that we have to have. That's life after sport. I've got to ask you, you talked about the tools when it comes to, hey, it's got to come together in the classroom, come together on the field, the Fertitta football complex. How do you think that's going to help this program going forward when it comes to like building up a winning program and maybe getting some even better recruits than we see on the field in the future? You know, I think, again, staying consistent as who we are. You know, we we, we are a, a program that right now, okay, yes, yeah, the first time in 10 years that we've been bowl eligible. But at the same time, it's extremely important that we continue to do the exact same things that Coach Odom has done to get us to this point in this season is to continually build up on that. You know, and, and it's an old saying, but brick by brick. Well, that's pretty good bricks right now. We have to continue to build on that and continue to be who we are, uh, trust our process, and, and trust, you know, our, our, our student athletes are phenomenal. In all areas, right? I'm not just talking about football, but Coach Odom and how he's leading. And as we all know, football season, the fall, football, volleyball, men's and women's soccer, cross country, those are the fall sports. Obviously, there's there's always a big magnifying glass on football, but that kind of helps jumpstart the rest of the academic year. Linda LaRock, Kevin Kruger, uh, and all of our other sports continue to move on it's just it's part of what we have to be and uh rebels make it happen yeah well basketball around the corner week i could i could talk to you all night yeah. but i want to finish with this here 
Last week, the team got a couple of votes for the top 25, mm -hmm. an impressive victory this week. If the team does crack that top 25, how good would it feel? Uh, it's going to be great, you know, and we'll, we'll, we'll build on it. You know, uh, we're going to take advantage of every opportunity that we have, and we'll continue to build on, on what, what, what Coach has done thus far. Obviously, we, there's a tough game next week in Fresno. Uh, you know, they're, they're a great program, uh, but we're going to go into uh, the San Joaquin Valley and compete. And, uh, you know, the better team that day, we're going to come out on top. We'll just continue to fight. Thank you so much for your time. Yeah, you bet. Thank you. There he is. Eric Harper, Athletic Director at UNLV with the one, the only, Damon. Look at you, Damon, not going hardcore football for five minutes. Academics! You know, I just go where, where the interviewer takes me, you know, where the interviewee goes. <laughs> I felt that that was very important to him, so I'll keep asking about academics. I'm, I'm a, as a proud alum, you know, I'm all about the program, all about the university. It's bigger than football. There you go, Damon. Now, they, they have a good cast of characters, too. Uh, today, Jackson Turner and uh, Jack Haas spoke to the uh, collection of media, and uh, they have some impressive dudes. They have some really smart dudes. And one of the cool – well, there wasn't a lot cool about COVID, but one of the benefits for college athletes is they get a chance to go to school. If they want to go to school for a long time, they can do it, and they get multiple degrees. And they've UNLV's had lots of players over the last three years take advantage of all the extra eligibility. So they've had some really smart cookies just load up on degrees. It's like it's the the Perry Perry Ellis method. I think he was at Kansas for like seventeen years. <laughs> yeah, that was that was a weird one because that was a rare case where a guy came in as a McDonald's All American, didn't really pan out early in his career, and then the program gets the benefit of a program player who turned into a good player in his last two years and looked twenty five when he started, and by the time he was done, he looked thirty seven. So yeah, he, so he matched the age with looking old. Uh, there's a, there's one currently in the Mountain West in basketball because I swear this is year 19 for Isaiah Stevens. I did you did you hear our interview with him? No, Damon. Do you remember the beginning of the interview? I know it started with maybe it's like his sixth year. Yeah, I he sat down and I was like, "Why are you still here?" Yeah, it's wild. But I was doing it jokingly, like especially in basketball where guys are so visible. Uh, you see guys who are around that long, and you're like, and if you're a fan, especially, you're like, dude. Well, because remember, I, Isaiah Stevens was a guy last year who freaking. I mean, like, I'm telling you, Kevin Kruger's like a pretty like even killed guy. That friggin' near half court twisting throw off the glass in a game that they had won. It it he he actually. I mean, I think he was joking, but he was kind of half serious. Like that freaking broke him. Like you do everything right uh, on a play to defend a guy and not get some crazy shot up, and he gets it up and makes it. He's a really good player. Really good. And, uh, yeah, the same reaction. Like, I, I saw that he was speaking at Mountain West Media Day, and I was like, wait a minute. Yep. What? It's, it's crazy. It's wild. But I think it's when, when you have a ton of success as a freshman, that's the the big one. Where he was good you, from the get-go. You emerge out of the scene, and then all of a sudden it's like, all right, this has to be your second or third year, but it's your first. And then, I'll, you know, four years later, it seems well, like you've been there 100 years. Think about it. David Roddy's going into his second year in the NBA, and he and Stevens came in together. That's wild. Yeah. And – um, because he came back, Colorado State probably went from being the seventh or eighth pick preseason of the Mountain West Conference to by the coaches. They, CSU is actually ahead of UNLV. Yeah, because they trust. You know, they believe that the coaches know what Stevens can do. He's he's That's awesome. Legit. So Fresno's on the way in football. This is such a big game. This is a rarity for UNLV this late in the season to actually be challenging for a spot amongst the elite. Uh, this could have title implications. 
you know, this looks like a really tough game to win. And a year ago, they outplayed Fresno. They rushed for 221, but they had a couple of missed tackles that got them. They could have won the game, right? They had a game, I think it was the year before that, uh, in Fresno where it went back and forth. And they were, they kind of get passed at the end when they just ran out of gas because Jake Hayner was, he was ridiculous. And it's, it's the same sort of Fresno team where they've got a great quarterback. If Mikey Keene is back and healthy and the kid fifes, okay. Uh, but it's the receivers and they've got a good run game. And I was telling you during the break, one of the things that I know when Barry Odom got hired, Eric Harper made a point, like you have to work the local market here. It's going to draw crowds. You got to work the recruiting market here with the high school players. There's too many good high school players here. There's a kid on Fresno, Elijah Gilliam, who walked on at Fresno and he's now their second leading rusher and just, you know, looking, doing some research on him and reading on him. I'm like, oh boy, Bishop Gorman guy. Like, how does he get out of the market as a walk on? Right. And th those are the kind of things I really hope. Like, I, while I want to see uh, UNLV football and I think the fans want to see him recruit at an elite level here in town, the last thing you can do is allow good players to get out of the market as walk-ons or go to a lower level. Like Dalton Kincaid is just, that whole thing is outrageous. What do you have eight yeah. catches over the weekend? Yeah. He's an NFL player now. Yeah. It's like, come on. When guys in the market are walking on to other schools and then eventually Kincaid lands at Utah and Gilliam could be a thousand yard rusher, say next year. It's crazy. Can't allow that to happen. Yeah. And walking on it, not even division one school. Not like, you know, he just had an opportunity to play somewhere bigger. He just, nobody recognized the talent at that point.